Welcome to another edition of the Books and Culture podcast with Books and Culture's editor, John Wilson, and I'm Stan Guthrie. And this week, John, we're looking at a very interesting book. All you have to do is see the title of this book, What Makes This Book So Great? (laughs) And you can tell that I might like it. The subtitle, Rereading the Classics of Science Fiction and Fantasy, by Jo Walton, who is herself a writer of science fiction and fantasy, a British writer, and a writer I like and just discovered relatively recently. And so when I heard that she had this book coming out, I was excited. It is based on short pieces that she wrote for the website of the publisher Tor, T-O-R. Tor Books is probably the leading sci-fi publisher right now in the U.S. She wrote these pieces between, I think she says 2008 and 2011, and then she selected some for this book. As you can see from the contents, there are 130 short pieces in between four and 500 pages overall. She talks about just a whole slew of writers and books. One of the things that she talks about right at the beginning, it's the second entry, it's called Why I reread and <laughs> yeah, I like um, that already yeah exactly and she says well i read a lot more than one book a week even when i'm fantastically busy rushing around having a good time and visiting my friends and family like right now i average a book every couple of days if i'm home and stuck in bed which happens sometimes then i'm doing nothing but reading i can get through four or six books in a day if <laughs> she's <laughs> stuck in bed you know. so i can say that there are never going to be Sufficient books to fill the voracious maw that is me. Get writing. I need books. If I didn't reread, I'd run out of books eventually, and that would be terrible. But this argument is disingenuous because, in fact, there is that towering pile of unread books in my bedroom at home, Mm. and even a little one in my bedroom here in my aunt's house. I don't reread to make the new books last longer. That might be how it started. The truth is that there are, at any given time, a whole lot more books I don't want to read than books I do. And then I'm skipping down. When I reread, I know what I am getting. It's like revisiting an old friend. An unread book holds wonderful unknown promise, but also threatens disappointment. A reread is a known quantity. My ideal relationship with a book is that I will read it for the first time entirely unspoiled. I won't know anything about it. It'll be wonderful. It'll be exciting and layered and so on and so on. That ideal relationship doesn't always work out. Even when I like the book in the first place, sometimes a reread is a disappointment. Sometimes I read a book that I used to love and find it seems to have been replaced with a shallow book that's only somewhat <laughs> similar. So, a reread is more leisurely than a first read. I know the plot, after all. I know what happens. I may still cry, embarrassingly, on the train when rereading, but I won't be surprised because I know what's coming. And I have to say, in some ways that's true, and you and I have talked about, she mentions this elsewhere about how important a first reading is when Mm. when something is unfolding for the first time. I will say that I think you can overemphasize that a bit in the sense that even when I read, we were talking about Ross MacDonald on our last podcast briefly about Roger Rosenblatt. You know, I've read all of the Lou Archer novels a number of times, and yet, even though I've read them a number of times, and if I sat back in kind of a cool, detached way, I could spell out the plot when I'm reading them, there still is some element of surprise. It's not the same as when you read it the yeah, first sure. time. 
I like to reread to my kids and then share what I've loved with them, but it's more of a community activity or a parental activity than it is a solitary activity. That is a wonderful form of rereading. I entirely agree with you. It's different, but it adds a whole new layer of delight to it. I want to just read a little bit of another one to give you a sense of her sense of humor, which you could already get from Mm -hmm. what I read, but also the way her mind works. This is the 27th entry. It's called, What a Pity She Couldn't Have Single-Handedly Invented Science Fiction! Exclamation point. George Eliot's Middle March. And it starts off, It's too much to ask, of course. Nobody could a quarter century before the War of the Worlds and when Verne was only just beginning to be translated into English. But it's such a pity because she would have been so very good at it. (laughs) And, of course, the idea of thinking of George Eliot and Middlemarch in connection with science fiction, and Joe Walton says in another one of the essays in the book, I read everything as if it were sci-fi. And (laughs) she explains why she's disappointed by a lot of the things she reads, because there are things that she thinks that sci-fi and fantasy writers tend to do better than so-called mainstream writers. Now, I have to tell you, I am not a fan of Middlemarch. Maybe I should try to read it again in my age. You know, it's been a really long time. And I've always found George Eliot extremely tough going. Reading her, for me, has always been kind of like, you know, chewing cardboard. I mean, there's no spark there. That brings up another point, which is it's very clear to me in reading this book that in some ways Joe Walton's taste is very different from mine. To enjoy her book, as I have, you don't have to share all her enthusiasms and all her aversions. There are some writers that she's talking about in this book. For instance, she devotes a number of the short essays to a writer named Stephen Brust, who not only have I never read, but I know almost nothing about him, even though he's fairly prolific. Having seen how enthused she is about him, I'm going to try one of his books, you know, just to see. There are some other writers that she talks about who I have read and I'm not that keen on, and then there are others still who... I know the names, but I haven't read them, or if I've read them, it's only very little. But it's not just the specific books and authors that you might get sent to by this. It's the spirit of the book that I think many of our listeners might find appealing. And I would say that that's true even for people who don't consider themselves hardcore readers of science fiction and fantasy. Now, if you have a Complete aversion to those genres, you're not going to want to read this book. You know, I have friends who all you have to do is say trolls. And, you know, if there's (laughs) trolls in a book, forget it. You know, they just can't take it seriously. If you're that kind of reader, you're not going to enjoy this book. But you don't have to be someone who has huge stacks of sci-fi paperbacks and fantasy paperbacks or one or the other at home to really relish this book because it is about books of a certain kind, but it is also about life. Again, it's written with a kind of contagious enthusiasm, but also she's got an edge to her, and that's a good combination. I would say that one characteristic you find in her, and she says this explicitly, that it irritates her that there's a kind of hierarchy of what writers matter and what writers don't. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the writers that she 
is enthusiastic about in this book, some of them are sort of the canonical writers, but there are many others who haven't gotten that kind of attention. And that's another thing that I enjoy about the book. Thanks, John. Thanks, Dan.